As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Lord, we we come before you this morning needy. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. We need your grace. Lord, we need your spirit to illuminate truth to us. We need your spirit to bring conviction where appropriate. We need your spirit to bring hope in who Christ is and all that he has done for us. Lord, show us that through these passages this morning. Lord, I pray that you would care for your church shepherd your church this morning through your word. And Lord, help me. Help me in my weakness. Help me in my inadequacies to confidently proclaim truth to these dear people. Lord, thank you for your presence here. Amen. Well, written... This letter written more than 30 years after Pentecost, it's written to churches in Asia Minor, what we would know as modern-day Turkey. And Peter, at this time, is writing from Rome. As you would discover as you read in his second letter, Peter is not far from martyrdom. It's just a, a short time away. Times have changed from when Pentecost first had come. The culture in Peter's day now has grown increasingly hostile to Christians. And in just a few years, Caesar Nero will begin a campaign of persecution like no other. One that we have read about, about Christians being put to death in the arena, being eaten by lions, and Peter being numbered among those martyrs at that time. And Peter's main purpose in writing this letter is to remind his readers of what God has done for them in Christ and then help them apply that truth to their lives in the midst of growing persecution 
and suffering and trial. Why this verse? Why, why this verse? It's important because I believe as, as we plant a church, Grace Church in Clarksburg, Maryland, we're doing it in the midst of an increasingly hostile culture as well. It wasn't hard to experience, as you saw over the Christmas holidays, news stories time and time again of people wanting to distance themselves from Christmas, that this is a holiday time and it's no longer really about the birth of Christ. People offended, a rock of offense as we read in this passage, that Jesus is causing men to stumble. And as Grace Church begins its journey today, as we set the course for Grace Church for months and years ahead, we'll be doing it in an increasingly hostile community. And these words, I believe that Peter writes, they are more relevant to us than we know. And so Peter, in his wisdom, is wanting to adjust their, their focus. These churches in Asia Minor who are struggling under persecution, who are suffering under, under hostile conditions. He wants to draw their attention to Christ, to who he is and what he has done. He wants to, to fix their eyes on a, on a single purpose. A number of years ago, and my, my children remember this well, we had decided to take a family vacation to uh, Key West. We lived in Atlanta at the time, and so it wasn't, it was about a, a 10, 12 hour drive down there, and, and we drove down, and, and we were at a hotel, and we had all these brochures, and one was talking about a snorkeling trip, and my children loved to swim, and so we were thinking, hey, let's do this snorkeling trip, and my, my wife told my kids, this is going to be the best day of our vacation. And, and the day comes for the snorkeling trip and we get out there and we get in our, our wetsuits and, and we have our snorkeling gear and, and the, you can tell it's pretty windy outside. And I, and I asked the, the captain of the boat, you know, is it going to be too rough? And he goes, oh no, the swells are only a foot and a half. Well, we get out there and it's about six miles out to the coral reefs. We get out there and it's not a foot and a half swells. They're more like six-foot swells. And the boat is going like this. And my, we had, we had pre-medicated with, with Dramamine, all, all but my son David, who said, I don't need it. And, uh, and we're, we're out on this boat, and within minutes, first of all, you understand, this is a diesel boat. And as you're driving out, the diesel fumes are just kind of wafting over the back of the boat. And, and so I'm standing on the front of the boat, kind of like Titanic, like this, you know, just trying to get the breeze in my face just so I don't throw up. And, and by the time we got out there, uh, I was toast and, and I was just done. And, and the, the captain said, well, if you get in the water, you'll feel better. So, so I jumped in the water with my snorkeling gear and it's only like you're going up and you're going down, you're going up. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm out there with my daughter, Jenny, and, and we're, we're probably about 50 yards from the boat. And I just, I just thought, 
I, I, I can't do this. I just said, Jenny, dad's got to go back to the boat. Don't drown. I'm on my way. And, and so I, I, I passed Marilyn on the way. Where's Jenny? Out there somewhere. I'm just, I'm heading to the boat. So I get on, I crawl back on the boat and I'm laying there and about an hour goes on. And if you've ever been seasick for an hour, if you've ever been seasick for a minute. So I'm laying on the, on the floor of the boat and I'm just curled up in a fetal position, just waiting for my life to end. And <laughs> I open my eyes and I see my poor daughter, Carrie, who's here this morning. She's just like, (laughs) and I see David and he's over the side of the boat (laughs) hurling. And I thought, this is the best day of our vacation. (laughs) And finally, everybody on the boat was sick. And so the captain mercifully said, okay, we're not going to stay out here all day. We're going back. And so we turn around. And as we're going back, I get back on the front of the boat to get the wind in my face. And the diesel smell is still there. The waves are still, you know, six foot swells. But I see the shore. And I, there was one point on the, on the land that I fixed on. And within minutes, just focusing on that one point, changed everything for me. It changed everything. And I started, I started feeling better and the seasickness started going away. And I was able to make it into, into land without hurling anymore. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a miracle as far as I was concerned. And that afternoon I went out and bought seafood to get my revenge on the sea and <laughs> ate plenty of it. But that fixed point made a difference. And, and for Peter's readers, as Peter is, is writing this, his, these churches he's writing to, that's what he's attempting to do. He's attempting to get them to stop with what is circumstantially going on around them and fix their point on Christ. On one point. Not anything else. And we must do the same here at Grace Church. The road forward is not always going to be easy for us. We must fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Now, the question is, who is Grace Church? Grace Church is a company of people, of men and women, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ because of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We're men and women who have been changed from as Peter writes here as living stones, we were lifeless stones. And now we've become like living stones in Peter's writing, chosen and precious in God's sights. So here's my main point for you this morning. As living stones, we live to declare God's praise and to display his glory. As living stones, we live to declare God's praise and to display his glory. Two main points, two minor points to go with that. And I think in the passage, what Peter wants to communicate to us, number one is who we are. Who we are. We are living stones being built into a spiritual house. And secondly, why we exist. Why are we here? We're a holy priesthood, Peter says, that offers spiritual sacrifices. So number one, who we are, living stones being built into a spiritual house. Peter tells us in verse four, as you come to him, 
As you come to Christ, the living stone, he has in mind the idea of not just a one-time coming as we've come to know Christ at salvation, but as, he, as you keep coming to Christ is Peter's mindset here that we keep coming to Christ. That he is the one that we run to. He is the, the rock that we stand on. He is the hope that we have each and every day. As we come to Christ, a living stone, he was the living stone. He was rejected. God's dwelling place used to be a specific place. It used to be the temple in Jerusalem. And only a few could go into. Only a few could go in to that place known as the Holy of Holies. God's temple. But, but God is no longer found in buildings made of stone. Peter is telling these believers, these, these persecuted churches, listen, you don't go to a building made of stone anymore. You run to the living stone. The one who is the rock of offense. The cornerstone. The cornerstone of the house of God. He is Jesus. The chosen one. Chosen and precious as Peter writes here. Chosen and precious by God. And we can now come to God in Christ because Christ came to us. Jesus came that we might become like him, these living stones being built up into a spiritual house. Peter, Peter talks about that we are, we're not this tangible building, but we are this building. We're this formation. God is creating something. He has created something. It's the family of God. It's the church of Jesus Christ with Jesus being the cornerstone. That's who we are. And Peter reminds these men and women who they are because it's easy in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, it's easy to forget who we are. It's easy to forget where God is in that moment. Circumstances surround us and it is, it is just blinding. I was driving home Thursday night after my son David and I went to, um, he was, he's in town with his family, and we went to see The Hobbit Thursday night, and, uh, or Thursday afternoon, and we got out about 5.30, and, and I've got to remember, I'm in Washington, D.C. This is not North Carolina, and there's snow everywhere, and, and it's, it's already covered the, snow, the, the, the roads, and it's rush hour, and I'm in Germantown, and I want to drive to Urbana. Um, and, and, and no helicopters were available to take me home. And so, so we had to get on the roads. And, and we first tried 355, and that did not work. And so I, just, I, I, I would rather drive 50 miles out of my way than sit in traffic. And so that's about what we did. And so we... We went these back roads on 117 to Barnesville to 109 to Thurston to, I mean, we're, and, and the whole way, the whole way we're driving, it's thick, heavy snow. And I could barely see two feet in front of me. It was just, it was just enveloping me. 
it, and it was, it, was, it was a tense moment. It was, and it was tense until we got home. You know, David's there with the GPS system trying to tell me where to go, and we're missing signs because there's snow covering the signs, but we, we eventually made it home. But the thing was, it was just so, it was just so, uh, so enclosed, and, and that's the way it can be when we're in trial and when we're in suffering. It's just, it's just hard to see past the windshield. It's hard to, to see past where God wants us to go, and that's why Peter wants us to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. That's why he reminds them of who they are. They are the called out ones. Jesus has come to them a living stone, that they would be living stones. And Peter tells them, you are a living stone. Don't forget that in the midst of what you're experiencing. And Peter, Peter then moves on to support from the Old Testament, what he's trying to teach them about being a spiritual house and being and giving spiritual sacrifices and being a holy priesthood and being living stones and being chosen and precious. He, he goes back to the Old Testament to support, to support what he's saying. In verse 6, he says, For it stands in Scripture. Peter gives them hope in God's Word. Look at God's word. Verses 6 through 8. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Those are, those are references to Old Testament passages, to, to Psalm 118, to Isaiah 28, to Isaiah 8. The rebellious leaders of uh, the Old Testament in Israel were rejected because they rejected the cornerstone that was written in Psalm 118. The true cornerstone of the temple, Isaiah prophesies, is Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 28, and those who trust in him won't be put to shame, but those who reject him will stumble, as Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 8. Brothers and sisters, this is where those who don't know Christ are headed. This is, the, this is those who stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The destiny of an unbeliever is a horrible one. It's just an absolutely horrible one. They're not only being put to shame, as, as Peter writes here, but as Jesus declares in the gospel, those who take offense at him, as he is the rock of offense, they'll be crushed. They will be crushed by the weight of their sin. They will be crushed by the weight of the judgment of God. And all of us at one time lived like that. We lived offended by God. We saw Jesus as the rock of offense. And we were rejected. In verse 10, Peter refers to the rejection. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. He's referring to the entire book of Hosea there. Where God declares over as Hosea is married to a prostitute and she's unfaithful to her husband time and time and time again. God is saying that is Israel. 
unfaithful to me time and time again. And God calls the people of God, lo ami, not my people. Not my people. That's what God spoke over the nation of Israel because of their rebellion and rejection of him. Not my people. They were no longer the children of God. Now can you imagine a parent saying to a child, you're no longer mine. I've heard my dad say that a few times. (laughs) He's not my kid. (laughs) What a devastating comment to make to a child or to a nation. But God's love still prevails. God's love still intervenes. I love what John Piper wrote in his book, This Momentary Marriage. He said, God took the record of all our sins that made us a debtor to wrath. Sins are offenses against God that bring down his wrath. And instead of holding them up in front of our face and using them as a warrant to send us to hell, God put them in the palm of his son's hand and drove a spike through them into the cross. It is a bold and graphic statement. He canceled the record of debt, nailing it to the cross. Because you see, God requires two things of us. Punishment for our sin and perfection for our lives. Our sins must be punished and our lives must be righteous. But we cannot bear our own punishment and we cannot provide our own righteousness. None is righteous, no, not one. But Peter tells these men and women who they are in Christ because he lets them know God met the requirement. God met the requirement in Jesus Christ, the precious living stone, one chosen by God himself, that we might become living stones. And it's why Peter can say in verse 9, but you are a chosen race as Jesus was chosen. You are a royal priesthood as Jesus was the ultimate priest making the ultimate sacrifice before God on our behalf. You are a holy nation. You are a nation of of men and women who have been brought together supernaturally through the blood of Christ. That nation is called the church. And you are a people for his own possession. Peter's saying, look, who you are, you're God's children. You are not low on me anymore. You are a people for his own possession. We are living stones, Peter says, being built into a spiritual house. That is who we are. That is who Grace Church is. That's the course of, of our road. That's the course of our future, to be a spiritual house, to be a people for God's own possession. Now you are my people, the Lord says. No longer low a me. Now secondly, 
Peter fixes our eyes on Christ by reminding us of why we exist. It's not just who we are, but why we exist. Why did he call us? Why did God save us? Why did he do this for us? Well, Peter says here, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're able to offer spiritual sacrifices, to be a, a priesthood before God. Oh, how, how the priesthood has changed since Old Testament times. In Old Testament times, the only one who could go into the inner sanctum, the most holy of places, was a, a Levite. One person to offer atonement for the sins of the people. And then the ultimate priest comes in Jesus Christ. And he offers the ultimate sacrifice. And now, because of Christ being clothed in his righteousness, the same clothes that a priest would wear, we can come into the presence of God. We can come before his throne of grace, as, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4. We can come to his throne of grace for mercy and help in time of need. We exist to be a holy priesthood, to be the priesthood that offers spiritual sacrifices to God. Because we're secure in our position before God. Are you secure this morning? Let me not assume that everybody here has put their faith in Christ. Maybe you're not secure this morning. Maybe you don't know where you stand before God. Maybe you're the one destined to pay for the punishment of your sin and to experience the wrath of God rather than Christ having done that for you. Let me appeal to you this morning. Put your faith in Christ. Put your trust. Be, become secure before God this morning so that you can have close fellowship with him and confidence when you enter into his throne room as you go before him in prayer and worship, offering your life as a true disciple of Jesus Christ. As priests, what is the sacrifice? Well, first and most important, we offer a sacrifice of praise and worship. We offer a sacrifice of praise and worship. That's why we exist. We exist to worship God, to bring glory to his name. Verse, verse 9, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why we exist, to proclaim the excellencies, the praises, the worship of God. Secondly, we offer up our very lives. We have been brought out of darkness into his marvelous lives. Our lives have been purchased to do the same thing. We have been called to proclaim his excellencies first to God. But brothers and sisters, we've been called to proclaim his excellencies to the community around us. It's why we're here. It's the, it's the mission of Grace Church to reach our community to proclaim who God is 
to communicate the glory and mercy and goodness and kindness, forgiveness and love of God in Jesus Christ. We proclaim his excellencies upward and we proclaim his excellencies outward. That's what we've been called to do. Our mission is to be disciples of Jesus Christ and make new disciples for Jesus Christ. To be disciples and to make new disciples. That's why we gather together. To be prepared and equipped to grow as disciples and to be prepared and equipped to go and make new disciples. It's why we exist. And thirdly, it is simply living life together as a church. We exist to be together as the people of God, to love one another, to pray for one another, to care for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to serve one another, to be generous in giving to one another, to see the gospel spread, to encourage one another, to live out our lives daily together. We exist to be together. We exist to, to demonstrate to a world that does not know what real love is, what the love of God really is. That's why we're here. And we're off to a great start. We really are. Having, having been here for all of four months, Marilyn and I feel more loved than we can possibly explain. And we've seen it demonstrated in the lives of everybody in this church. It's just been a constant. And that speaks to the world. They will know we are Christians by our love. So how do we apply this? As living stones, we live to declare God's praise and to display his glory. Well, this happens as we, as we, are, we allow God to build us into a spiritual house and we work together building that spiritual house and as we understand why we're here to offer spiritual sacrifices. We will live to declare God's praise and to display God's glory. The dwelling place of God is no longer the Jerusalem temple, brothers and sisters. It's, it's the Christian in which God dwells. It's in his church. The priesthood is able to, is uh, no longer offering sacrifices through Aaron's line. It's offering sacrifices through you. And God's chosen people are no longer the ones descended just from Abraham. God's chosen people are the ones, the men and women in this room who've been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. So what's the application? It's very, very simple. Come, as Peter begins verse four, as you come to him, you go to God. You come to him like a living stone and you offer up your life. Not just once, but each and every day. 
And what that offering of spiritual sacrifice is going to look like in your life is, is different than what it'll look like in another person's life. But we offer up spiritual sacrifices. That's what we do. That's what we do.